0: Thank you for joining us at ourdaybreak.church. This weekend, Pastor Britt teaches from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. As we consider the birds and consider the flowers, is not life worth more than just simply worrying? We hope this ministry blesses you and this word encourages you for the week. Started. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 25, the one and only Miss Maddie is going to read for us this morning. This morning. Sorry about that. This morning. So, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25.
1: Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, or what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the birds of the sky, they don't sow, or reap, or gather in barns yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow... Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So therefore, don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has, its own, has trouble of its own.
0: Thank you very much, Miss Maddie. You guys give her a big round of applause. Yeah, well, I want to welcome you again to Daybreak Church. Um, We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount since around Easter time, and uh, we are quickly coming to a close. And Um, Really, it's been a really powerful time for myself, I don't know about for you, um, but just being shaped by the continual story of something that Jesus felt and knew was massively important for all his followers, all would-be people who would follow after him. And uh, this morning, as we kind of transition into um, the the last few parts of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus continues to drive home a very important theme, that there is a way to live after him. Uh, that is very unlike the way that the world tells us to live. And uh, so this this morning, uh, this text, uh, you've probably heard this text before, you've read this text before. Uh, it is with great excitement and trepidation uh, that I... Teach a little bit on this this morning. Um, anxiety, anxiousness is a very fascinating thing in our culture. Um, it, it is safe to say there's an epidemic of anxiety that floods our culture, floods our society. Um, stats show that about 19 to 22 percent of uh, every American has has struggles with prescription level anxiety. Um, so they're taking something to help alleviate. Uh, Some of their anxious nerves and things that are going on. And so it's interesting when we read a piece of text like this, um, that we can become cynical. Um, Or as a pastor, we can become very simple to just say, stop it. (laughs) Um, Just quit being anxious. Um, But there's something beautiful that I want us to see here this morning. Um, We don't need a PhD to understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, The examples of logic that Jesus brings to you and I are to show the downright simplicity of a life called to obedience and observance and following after Jesus. So this morning, I I want to do a few things for us. Not only some practical truths and logical conclusions about worry and anxiety um, and our actions that are found within there, but more importantly and most importantly and always at the center of of how... Stinking, just amazing Jesus is. Like, this is the why we come. This is why we worship. This is why we're here. Um, not just to learn how to live better, but to see Him magnified and glorified, and to see the gift that Jesus brings us today through this piece of text. He isn't simply giving us a logical demand or command, but because of His deep, deep love for you and I, He's wanting us to live the Makarios life today. So if you're new with us, makarios is the Greek word that we have indoctrinated ourselves with. Uh, It's found in what's referred to as the Beatitudes. Um, That word makarios, uh, we often see it translated as blessed. A better translation of the word is to flourish. So Jesus longs God's point of coming and, and sending Jesus to us is so that we may flourish here and now along the road to eternity. But there's a way in which we receive that. There's a way in which we live that out. And that is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus r- mapping out this way to follow after him. And so this too is an example. This too is painting this picture for you and I, for us to be able to see that you and I, to get through this world in a flourishing way, we need to do so unanxiously. We need to. Press after that, and we're not going to take a show of hands. But I think if we took an inventory of our life, uh, if, if I asked how many of you have been anxious in the last twenty-four hours, uh, the last <laughs> the last week, most of us will be like, oh, like it just it's it just exists. It happens. Uh, you spend any time listening to the news, you'll become anxious. Uh, you spend any time on Facebook, you'll become anxious. You hear that your in-laws are coming. You may become anxious as Deidre looks over her shoulder at her in-laws. That there's just, that like life, finds itself to be like, we just find ourselves in a place of of anxiety and and worry. And I want to be honest, there are some things, twofold. One, that there are some of us, there are some people who have like a clinical, like there's an imbalance that causes deep anxiety. And Jesus is not speaking to that thing specifically. So there's not just, like, hear me when I say this. If, you're, if you find yourself in this camp, that, that there is mercy and grace for you in this. Like, this is, this is why I love Jesus. Why he is, like, he is worthy of all of our attention and our affection. Is that even when he gives a, a mandate and an explanation, there is grace upon grace for us in that. Then there's some of us in here that if I'm honest, I fall in this category. I live such an unbalanced life that anxiety creeps at every single corner. And that's not my mental problem. That is my problem for not living a life following after Jesus. And so wherever you may find yourself this morning, my hope and prayer is that we take true and proper account that as Jesus says, we consider the things in this world. We take a moment and observe that which is around us. Why? Not so that we feel bad and feel guilty, but so that we live in the freedom and peace that Jesus gives us. Like that is the purpose. That is why we are here this morning. And I want us to grow in this mercarial life. And so Jesus knows what will come to us. He knows what's going to happen to us. Yet We will pick up on our own accord and he is trying to get to us this joy and this peace and this way to live. So Jesus is the master of the human heart. He knows us way better than we even know ourselves. He understands our tendencies, our proud, self-protecting as a people, most prone to worry about. And he doesn't just simply say, stop it or don't do that. He gives us a better way. He knows the unknowns of the future that will tempt us to anxiety. And he shows very simply how silly it is for us to worry about things that haven't happened yet and probably never will. And so his invitation is, just don't trust me. Seek first the kingdom. You're going to live out some way or another. You're going to be seeking after something. You're going to be observing something in your life. And either that something you're observing gives life and hope and joy and peace, or it does not. And the only thing that ever promises that is the kingdom of God, is God himself. And so at the end of this, we see the scripture where Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and everything else that you might worry about, that you might long for, those things are going to be added to you as they need to be added to you. So before we jump into this, there's some texts and scriptures that we've all probably heard before, and I want to just address some of these for us. Uh, 1 Peter 5 says this Cast your cares on the Lord. Um, just from a practical standpoint, and like for whoever this needs to be a, uh, a, a rebuke for, uh, receive it for what it needs to be received as. So First Peter 5 is a beautiful mandate. Cast your cares on the Lord, not on social media. Let that sink in for a second. When you are in deep need, you broadcasting it to the world will not bring redemption to your soul. It will not bring relief. And if you've been on Facebook enough, you know what I'm talking about. You get people who will try to either help or hurt based on what you're posting, right? You get those folks that will be like, well, if only you did this. Well, that's not helpful, right? Or ah, you should do this instead. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? They add to the worry. They add to the anxiety, so Jesus' mandate is, no, cast it upon the Lord. Throw it upon him, the one who is going to actually bring clarity, wisdom, and peace. So as a practical thing for us this morning, or if we can even say this, that, like, that the pill is that you will have trouble. This is, this is the reality of life. You will have trouble. You will have moments. So you can either chew on this pill, which will leave a bitterness and taste uh, nastiness in your mouth, which becomes worry and anxiety. I remember the first time, some of you will, you might kind of know what I'm talking about here. When I was six, I had a headache. and My grandmother, um, she was super kind. She gives me like really hardcore penicillin. And as a six-year-old, all I ever had was like the chewable gummies. And so she gives me this pill, and I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Uh, That's like an immediate nauseous you're going to throw up into a trash can. As a six-year-old, I had no idea. And I'm like, oh, that thanks, Grandma, this is going to help my head. Ooh, it was a bad day, real bad day. And so medicine is, is stylized. It's meant to actually be swallowed, ingested, and so that it can do what it needs to do. When taken out of the natural way, it can bring more harm. And so, like I say, this illustration of 1 Peter 5 is something to to just lock into yourself of when you're having moments of anxiety, moments of worry, moments of frustration, that you would do the best thing out of the gate. And before you tell your best friend, before you broadcast on Facebook, before you post about it, that you would pray about it. That you would say, Jesus, I'm struggling with this. I'm anxious about this. Like, Stacy can attest to this. Most of my anxious moments and frustration is because I've not prayed. Because I've not gone to the Lord and realized, Jesus, this is a really foolish, silly thing. I mean, I'll, I'll tell on myself. Uh, we had a delightful uh, with Team Wendell rumble uh, this last Saturday. Um, I had hopes for us to, like, go and have a just super fun, crazy day. And um, she was more reliable and responsible. And she's like, we have things around the house that need to be done. And, like, instead of me talking, I just got super anxious and frustrated and turned into a raging little baby for about 35 minutes. And the reality was is that, like, as we we're talking through it, I'm realizing I'm such a baby. <laughs> like, I just, like, in talking about this and processing this through in a proper, healthy way, I, like, we realize things aren't as bad as we make them, make them out to be. But what do we sometimes do? We live in a world that has trained us to share everything with people who cannot help you. Like, hear me, Like, I love you and I want to help you. Facebook is not going to help you. It's just not. Your friends on Facebook are not going to help you. So I want to, like, encourage you in this. Like, if you're a part of a dinner party, that is a place to share with some people as you build those relationships. Men and women who are actually going to walk with you through something. Like, that is a place to share as you've brought it to the Lord. Cast your cares on the Lord. So there's that piece. Um, There's, I want to kind of tackle a little bit of a differencing of words here. Um, As a people, I want us to grow in a spirit of expectancy versus a spirit of anxiety. So it's a word that sometimes can muster up some of the same things. I want you to grow to expect amazing things from the Lord in your life. I want you to grow up to expect a good day. Like to actually wake up in the morning and go, today's going to be great. Um, I was telling a few people, This isn't casting cares. I just I had a really sour stomach this night uh, last night, and I was joking with Stacy. Um, We I woke up probably seven or eight times, and every time I woke up with a like a legitimate smile, I was like, "What? I'm alive! It's a great day." And then, like, this, the pain would hit, and I'm like, oh, well, that's still like an okay day. It's all right. And, like, I, I found myself, like, as I was getting ready for this morning, I'm like, man, why was I so happy, like, waking up seven times in the middle of the night? Like, that just sounds horrible. And I was like, I don't know. Like, there was just something about the expectancy, and I'm, I'm not trying to over-churchify this. I was excited about today. And every time I woke up, I was like, oh, it's time to get ready for church. Oh, no, it's 2.40. I'm going back to bed. Wake up again at four. Oh, yay. Nope, it's four o'clock still going back to bed. Like, there was this expectancy of what I know that God wants to do this morning that I just locked in. Now, expectancy versus anxiety. Now, I can wake up with an anxiousness of, Oh, gosh, what, what happens if, like, the bass doesn't sound good? Or what happens if somebody doesn't show up to serve in kids? Or what happens if the, the sewage is backed up again? What happens if, what happens if, what happens if? And then an anxiousness comes in of what happens if somebody's, like, flipped over our beautiful planters, and I've got, like, mums all out in the middle of the street, like, oh, Jesus, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And that spirit of anxiousness, that spirit of anxiety leads me into a place like I'm coming to this place regardless, but it prepares my heart to either be one in in fearfulness and frustration or one seeking excitement and energy of what God is going to want to do. And so for us to grow as a people of expectancy, having a spirit of expectancy versus a spirit of anxiety. And so I have a few things that I want just kind of walk through um, of what, what Jesus is not saying When he says, don't worry. So don't worry does not equal doesn't matter. Okay? Don't worry does not equal does not matter. What you eat matters. Having food matters. Having something to drink matters. Having clothes matters. There are things that matter to us and that God wants that, God knows that it's important to us. So when he says, don't worry, he's not saying that doesn't matter He's saying, I don't want you to worry about it. Don't worry doesn't mean don't act. Don't worry doesn't mean don't act. Like, this is huge for many of us. Like, we might read this and go, well, I got those bills. I'm not going to worry. Just going to sit back and, no, pay that. Get after that. You got stuff to do. Like, there are things that need to happen. So, like, just as a segue, most of our, some of our anxiety is brought on by our foolishness and inaction. And Jesus doesn't want that. Like, Jesus wants us to live a proper, flourishing life. Life And that's kind of his piece here. When you're seeking the kingdom, when you're actively pursuing and actively living as God calls you to, there's action that takes place and there's righteous things that begin to happen within your life. Things begin to fall into place sometimes. And so he's not saying, don't worry, and so therefore don't act. He's saying, no, 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 like, don't worry, but get stuff done. He's saying, don't worry, it does not equal, don't get after it. Similar concept. And lastly, don't worry doesn't equal, don't care. So we don't just simply become apathetic to life and everything else around us. Becoming um, melancholy in our spirit. And this is something that I've honestly, like, uh, I'll just be transparent with, like, I struggle with. Um, I I have anxiety from time to time. I'll have panic attacks. We first realized it when we were, um, I think we were probably about a year, year and a half into the church planting thing, and we were grocery shopping after church, and This guy bumped my cart, and I, like, I lost it. Uh, Not on the guy. I didn't, like, nothing crazy happened. Um, But I just, like, I shut down. My chest got tight. I just started sweating. I wasn't having a heart attack. Um, But I was just, like, I couldn't talk, and I was so frustrated. And, like, I just kind of, like, went down an aisle, and I wasn't talking to Stacy. And, like, I was breathing heavy, and she's like, what is your problem? Like, we used to have a thing. Uh, when we were dating and early on when we were married, I'd go shopping with her. And I hate shopping. And I would do what's called the light switch. And so like, we were good for about 10 minutes in Walmart. And I'd be like, click, I'm done. Let's wrap this up. Ready to get out of here. And so she was just thinking it was that. She's like, quit being a baby. We've got to get groceries. And like, I was just overwhelmed and completely anxious, felt crippled, did not know what to do. And so finally was able to articulate, like, I'm not okay Like, this is weird. I've never felt this experience before. And uh, meeting, met with some doctors and kind of figured out that my preserved apathy, uh, what I thought was a melancholy approach to life, was simply me stuffing my emotions and feelings. Wasn't me actually dealing with it. It was me going, no, I'm fine. No, I'm good. No, that's, yeah, that doesn't bother me. And then all of a sudden, like, it all just, the anxiousness hit, and I'm like, oh, I need to deal with some of this stuff. I need to actually care about these things that are happening. There's a healthy way in which I need to process these things. And so there's two scriptures that you've probably heard before that I want to just address for us to help us understand what Jesus is actually saying here. Because worry and concern, the word that's used there um, in in Matthew chapter 6 is used about 18 other times in Scripture. Same word that typically has about three different functions and meaning. One is that of, of worry and dread. The other is one of concern and compassion. And so it's important for us to understand The difference. So Philippians 4, we're going to have the scripture up. Uh, You can see both of these scriptures together. So Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus beautiful passage. Memorize that. Like when you're having moments of anxiety, moments of worry, moments of of dread, like to lock this in. Jesus, I just, I come to you and I bring this. I cast my cares to you and you guard my heart. You walk this out. You work it out within me. But when we see 2 Corinthians 11... We see Paul, same writer, same author, saying this. Not to mention other things, there is daily pressure on me, my concern, it's the same word, my worry for all of the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. So Paul is, is saying here, like in two different states, don't worry about anything, you'll be fine. And then he's saying, guys, I worry about you. Like I have deep concern for you. So which, which is it? Don't worry, or it's okay to worry. It's okay for pastors to worry, but you need to not worry. Nope, I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I hope not. No, I think one shows a lack of trust and focus. The other is one of care and concern. To care about things that are weighty and important. So my anxiety for preaching is it's there's a, there's a subtleness that sometimes comes in, in preaching God's word especially a text like this like I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't want to misinterpret the the translation or misinterpret the word and then like help somebody go oh it's okay like I shouldn't worry and so I just need to suck it up and keep going and I just need to work at it harder. No like, there's an anxiousness in us hearing the wrong thing, and so always keeping Jesus in the gospel at the front of who we are. But then there's also this concern that can sometimes capture of us, I just want people to think I'm cool. I just want to preach a good message so that everybody's like, well, I like that Pastor Brett guy. Like, no, that, that, that where the concern finds itself is massively important. And so when we talk about this, when we see this, this promise of peace that, that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, the promise of peace that Jesus is giving to you and I, that offers up to you and I, that, that peace is not an absence of worry. It's not an absence of problems. Like, and if you've ever experienced true peace, you know that. The storm still rages. There's still craziness going on. The kids are still rebellious. The bills still haven't been paid. The, the doctor's report hasn't come back positive yet, but yet there's this supernatural peace that carries along with you it's not it 's not an absence of worry, an absence of the thing, but is a but an observance of something more wonderful and so I think this is where Jesus draws this line for us. So this sermon this morning is for me I struggle with this bad. I have moments of gripping anxiety not because life is hard, but because i'm wound up tighter than a little tiger in a cage choices that i've made that have brought me to this place and so i don't know about you this morning i don't know what anxiety grips you i don't know what worries befall you um, even though i do well for a lot of us in here as we talk and and pray but jesus knows And Jesus is offering us a macarious life. He longs for you and I to live this full life found in him. And the only way that we do that is to live a life burdenless, weightless, walking without worry as life finds itself upon us. This is a life command for me and for you to live better, more enjoyably with Jesus. So how do, we, how do we do that? I love how Jesus starts this text. Consider the birds. So like, just imagine Jesus is like, if you're, I don't know if you've ever done counseling before. I have. It's amazing. I encourage everybody to find a good counselor to talk to sometimes. Um, but like, you, imagine like Jesus is, is talking to all these people He's like, don't worry. Let's talk about the birds. And everybody's like, what? What did we just sign up for? What is Jesus doing? Let's consider the birds. This phrase, consider the birds, is one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. Jesus is saying, hey, let's forget about everything else. Just sit on a park bench. Just soak it up. Let's observe. Let's take in. Let's look at how the world actually works. And so, to do so, we're going to look at something that is pretty forgettable. Um, even though they're beautiful. Uh, we're going to look at the birds. If you look at Luke, uh, Luke's passage of um, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there's, he uses the word ravens. Um, look at the ravens. And so the reason why I think it's important, like Luke's translation is is powerful as well. Um, in Jesus' day and age, a raven was considered an unclean bird. Like the dirtiest of dirty, they eat dead things. And so in that culture, it's like just gross. They were bottom wrong animal, um, unclean, defiled. And so Jesus using this analogy of consider the ravens and how much God cares for them would make somebody go, oh, you're right. A raven doesn't have to worry about a nest. Raven, they, just, they don't worry. They just go out and they fly around until they find something dead. Ugh. Like what a, what a weird life to have to live. But yet that's how God provides and cares even for them. And so Jesus saying, let's consider the birds. Let's consider these things that just flutter around us and how well they are. How they make their nests and they find their worms. They have their little baby eggs that turn into babies and they learn to fly and then repeat over and over and over again. They don't worry. They're not consumed. They, they just trust. They just go for it. And if you're anything like me, I'm cynical and sarcastic, and I'm like, yeah. And sometimes a bird gets hit by a moving vehicle, and then what? It's life. Like we we want a better, blessed answer than that, don't we? Like we want. Oh, but like, what? Well, uh. I mean, I can church church that up for you. Yeah, the resurrection's real. So, get hit by the truck. Amen. To, amen. Like, gonna get to experience. New life, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that sarcastically. That's a promise and that's amazing. But, right, that becomes our response. Well, what happens if something bad happens to me? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is momentary. Anybody could say amen to that. Like, that's a great promise. I mean, I'm banking on that. I'm banking that this isn't it. I don't know about you. Like, life is good, the life promised is that much better. Paul declares that he's like, man, we consider all of these joys and all of these sorrows, but nothing compared to what's going to be coming to us through heaven and through God's grace and kindness. Like, if that's what we cling to, that helps fuel a a life of non-anxiousness. I know our world is, how many, just show a fan, how many people love roundabouts in here? Not enough, (laughs) <laughs> roundabouts are amazing. I lived in the UK for a while. It helped me grow in love of them. Wisconsin people seem to not understand how these function very well at all. Um, I'm not going to get onto a driving ta- tangent. But as an illustration, that worry literally becomes the roundabout for your life in Wisconsin. You just get locked in. You don't know how to get off. Driving around, you become anxious because you see other things coming and you just freeze up freak out slam on your brakes like this is not the life that god has called for you and i and so when you live this life of worry when you allow something just to continue to spin you out of control it's in those moments that if you're struggling with anxiety if you're struggling with these things jesus says stop for a moment and consider the birds like just go watch how nature works His second thing that he says, and some of you who are more plant people would love this, is consider the flowers. Consider the plants. Like they literally just, they grow. And they get cut down and stuck on somebody's table and die. Like that's their life. And he says, and they're more beautiful on any given day than that of King Solomon, who had all of the riches and everything that anybody could ever want. And yet a flower just flowers, and then it dies, and then it repeats. Consider the flowers. And so when we, we look at this, we have to ask this question. Jesus, okay, like what? Like, considering the birds, like they, they just kind of wake up and do their thing. I consider the flowers, like they they grow and then they get cut down. Like what, like what do I do with this? And if you're a note taker, I want to give you... Um, This is a very practical thing um, that I had to learn probably about 10, 11 years ago in ministry. Um, And so if you want to take notes, write this, concern versus influence. I'm going to save somebody's soul this morning with this. Um, Concern versus influence. When I was doing my master's, I had the privilege of hearing somebody kind of talk a little bit about this and shaped this idea more for myself to help me understand things that would happen in my life. And so I found myself constantly anxious, constantly frustrated at about, how, like, how things were happening in my life. And so draw a circle. If you're taking notes, just draw a little circle. And in that circle, write uh, concern. And so, like, in that concern sphere, you can just write down a few of your concerns. Like, what are you concerned about? Um, doesn't, doesn't matter how crazy concerning it is. Just whatever some of those concerns are. And so, like, I filled this circle. I'm like, man, I'm concerned about this. And I was a youth pastor at the time, and I'm concerned about this person and this thing, and concerned about this event. I'm concerned about this and this and this. And so, you you kind of pile up this concern in this one sphere. And then you draw a second sphere, and you write down your influences. And by influences, it's where do you have power? Where do you have influence in life? And so all of us have influence. All of us have different levels of influence, Whether, regardless of where you are, whether you're HR, whether you're an employee, whether you're a boss owner, whether, like, whether you're a student, whatever. Like, all of us have a level of influence. What I found was is that when you begin to kind of overlap these two things, my concerns and my influences, where they merge is where you can actually change something. Anything that I'm concerned about that I don't have influence over, I cannot change on my own. I'll never be able to. doesn't matter how much I pray about it. It doesn't matter how much I worry about it. If I do not have influence, power, or action to change it, it's always just going to remain a concern. I do not have influence over making that thing change or make it better. But what I found was is where most of my time and energy was spent is on the outside sphere of my concerns. The things that I had no control and no power over. Um, and so as a tool for you to look at, if you're struggling with con- anxiety, struggling with having a lot of concerns, to look at this and go, okay, where, like practical, practical things, where do I have influence to make this thing Better, make this thing different. And where I don't have influence, it becomes something that I'm able to put aside and trust and pray Jesus, this is something you need to take care of. Like, I can't fix this. Like, where, I, where I'm, <laughs> um, I'll just use this as an example. I'm concerned that my internet is going to get cut off because I'm not paying the bill. Well, where do I have influence there? Pay the bill. <laughs> but I don't have a job. Okay, let's cut that one back two steps. So concern, I don't have a job. Influence, can I work? Can I get one? Boom, move over. I now have influence in this area to now step into addressing this concern. It's when you begin to look at those things and go, okay, what can I do? And what's beautiful about this is that the influence does not stay the same the more that you continue to grow and stretch and press after these things, your influence actually begins to extend further and further into your concerns, tackling those things. The problem is that you can only do one or two things at a time. Yet we allow our minds to be consumed by all of these other things. Where we don't have power, we don't have control. I'll say this just as a little, little example. It's a phrase that my wife hears me say often, some of our leaders um, will hear me say, somebody will see something on Facebook and they go, Pastor, did you see that? Did you see what happened on Facebook? And my response, what is my response, Stacey? I don't have, I don't pastor from Facebook. I don't have influence on Facebook. I don't have, and and I don't want to compete with all the other voices that people are going to hear. So, like, that as an example, there's concern that we have, like, if I ask me of you, like if you just scrolled through your Facebook feed, how much concern do you have seeing things that people are posting, your friends are posting, things that are being shared? That anxiety that builds up, like, oh my gosh, I've just decided, man, I don't have influence there, and I face to face is where I want to be, and so that alleviates a lot of stress and anxiety in my life of not having to be constantly worrying about what so-and-so's doing on Facebook, or what so and so is doing, being in life with somebody, life on life, those conversations, that reality comes up in those moments, and we get to then address those things. And so uh, as we look at this, consider the birds, consider the flowers. Uh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the pastor, has this beautiful quote, and it's sarcastic, and I love it. Oh, and I hope you love it too. Uh, so Luther says this, it seems that flowers... Stand there and make us blush, and they become our teachers. He says this, thank you, flowers, you who are about to be devoured by a cow. God has exalted you very highly to become our teachers. Like, Let that sink in. Out of everything that God could have used as an example for you to not worry and for you to trust, he chose a flower, a flower that gets stepped on, a flower that gets eaten by a cow, a flower that will wither and die. He says, and yet God provides the rain, he provides the soil, he provides the community for those flowers to not grow alone. He provides every single thing that that flower will need in those moments to fill out its purpose to be beautiful and to be a flower and do what flowers do. How much more will God, who has given you purpose, And catch this, and this is a underlying tone of what Jesus is saying here. Birds do not bear the image of God. Animals do not bear the image of God. Plants do not bear the image of God. Pop quiz, it's worth a thousand points. Who bears the image of God? We do. We are image bearers of the Most High God. And so if God provides and cares for those things that are not like him, are not made in his image, Jesus is giving this underlying tone. How much more will your heavenly father care for you? So because of this, then seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. And in, in Matthew six thirty-two, he gives this illustration. For the Gentiles, they eagerly seek all things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. And so it's key for us, I just want to say this as we move further in. Um, Sometimes as pastors we we like to take what the text is saying and go a little bit further. And I want to be careful with that here. Because Jesus is specifically talking about food, clothing, and what was the other one? Uh, Somebody could help me. Shelter. There it is. Like, we, like, those are practical things. And so this is what Jesus is specifically talking about. And so I don't need to go super far beyond that, but I need to for a moment because if I'm honest, if we're honest in here, many of us don't have to worry about what we're going to eat or when we're going to eat. We worry about what amazing thing we're going to eat. It's a different kind of anxiety. We don't worry about if we're going to have clothing, it's will we have the right kind of clothing? Will we have the cool new attire? Like our worries become something elevated and and different, but yet there's still worry. There's still an anxiousness rooted to this that becomes a natural part of the individual's pursuit. And so, We ask this question, of, well, how did the Gentiles live? And this is so beautiful and fascinating. The Gentiles would make sacrifices to idols, idol worship, in bringing those goods, bringing those things to them in hopes that they would bless them. So they would bring food before a dead idol. They would bring materials before a dead idol. They would bring, lay things before these false idols in hopes that maybe this God will wake up and then I'll be blessed and I'll have everything that I need. As they pursue this and they do this with all of these things. But yet you have a God who just says, bring yourself. Bring yourself and worship me and all things will be added to you. You don't need to bring me your food, you don't need to bring me your money, you don't need to bring me, just bring me you. I want you and your worship and all these things will be added to you. So for us, anxiety isn't always what we lack, but sometimes what we actually live with. And so this morning as a challenge for us, I want us to look at this, to consider the birds, to look at this this joy that they just kind of live and float, but to consider yourself, where is the biggest root of your anxiousness coming from? Where is the biggest root, the biggest foundation of concern for you in your life right now? And then how are you handling that? Are, are you handling that in a healthy, Christ-like way? And I, I say that, like, how did Christ handle stress? One of my favorite examples, Jesus on a boat, big storms coming. What does he do? He takes a nap. Jesus is like, well, this is going to be tossy and turvy. I'm going to go take a nap on a boat. Like the beauty of there's a term that's used for Christ that I love, that he was a non-anxious presence, that everywhere he went, he just, he was just chill. Like one other one of my favorite stories with Jesus, he, he's proclaiming in the village that he grew up uh, that he was the son of God. He's reading this text, Isaiah, and he's like, it's being fulfilled in front of you. And they're not excited. They, like, grab him and drag him to this, like, bluff, and they're going to throw him off the bluff. And it's at the point that Jesus lets them drag him all the way to the end, and he's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and then he just says he walks through the crowd. Like, I don't know about you. Like, I, it's one of those phrases, I'm like, what? Is there, like, a special hidden meaning in the Greek? Like, by walkthrough that he was, like, Chuck Norris and people like, how? does anybody know who Chuck Norris is? I thought that was a good one. Anyways, jeez. Like, what does it mean that he just walked through? Something just, something happened where Jesus like, nah, bro, back up. Done. You're not throwing me off today. And they're like, oh, okay. Just non-anxious. He just walked through. Wasn't worried about his life. Wasn't worried about any of those things. He, like, the non-anxiousness of Jesus to, to, to ask 12 men to follow him, All 12 being ridiculously dumb 90% of the time that they followed him. Like, yeah, cool, I want to spend the next three years of my life with Peter who's going to run his mouth and get us in trouble a lot. And I want Judas real close because I'm excited about the day he betrays me. Like this was the life of Jesus, non-anxiously pressing after the Father's will. He makes the same statement in Luke where he says, man, the Son of God has no place to lay his head or place to call home yet he trusts and he walks. The fox has a home. It has a place to lay its head, but the Son of God does not. Jesus sets this example for us to trust him. A good friend, uh, Rhett Smith, uh, wrote a book uh, a couple years ago called The Anxious Christian. And he has this uh, in his book. So if you're a reader, it's a really great book. He actually um, tackles uh, the, the concept of anxiety um, in a very positive understanding. He's a, he's a therapist um, that, that anxiety at its root is meant to move us. It's meant to show us that something is not right. Um, it's just that many of us have, we, we've either been broken to a point or we lack the coping skills to process our way out of the situation. And so he's, taught, he's teaching kind of this understanding of an anxious Christian is one who has deep things that they're, they're worried towards, but there's a way in which we can handle it in a Christ-like way. And so he says this, an occupation and not empty space is what most of us are looking for. When we are not occupied, we become restless. We even become fearful when we do not know what we will do the next hour, the next day, or the next year. We are so afraid of open spaces and empty places that we occupy them with our minds even before we are even there. Our worries and concerns are expressions of our inability to leave unresolved questions unresolved and open-ended situations open-ended. In summarization of that, he's saying we, we seek things that we don't, we'll never know the answers to. Instead of seeking the kingdom of God. To be occupied with things of God. To be occupied by himself. To be occupied by the king of all kings. And so church, this morning, we're presented with this opportunity to look legitimately at our lives and say, "Where, Man, Jesus, where am I anxious? Where am I not living as you've called me to live? And God, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to help me process through these things? How am I going to grow in trusting you? Now, we can simply grow in taking Jesus exactly at his word and just stop worrying. Yeah, Jesus, that'd be great, but welcome to 2019. It's really hard. I think he would laugh at us, like still, like in, his, in a very compassionate, kind way. <laughs> but he's like, no, child, like stop worrying. Like are you, do, do I have you or don't I? you trust me or don't you? Do you believe that I have all good things for you? Do you believe that my father has sent me to die for you? Do you believe that I have come bringing the mecharials, the flourishing life for you today, now and forever? Like, do you believe that? If you believe that, then you now have a step up. You now have a, a, a move ahead of anybody else to be able to actually be in the moment and trust and live with peace. To not have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have its own stuff. Tomorrow's going to have its own things to worry about. We will have plenty of troubles and trials, and if we like to fret over them, we can always do that. But then we have to, we have, to have way more joys than our troubles. So our song should exceed our size, church. There will be troubles. It's going to happen. There will be things that will cause us to be distracted. My hope is that you would grow in seeing that there are way more joys than there are troubles in your life as a redeemed follower of Jesus. Like that is your hope. That is your promise. That is a reality for you. But in doing so, you have to consider, you have to take your eyes off of these things that are constantly bringing anxiety and frustration and brokenness and put them on the King of all kings, the one who is our hope who is our foundation, who is our healer. And so that as a church that we would grow, that our songs would exceed the size of our frustration. The uh, the sounds that we would raise before God because he is good. He does provide for us. He will make a way. We have a good God who has promised that as our days, so shall he be our strength. As you go, I will be with you. It says so our worship team is coming up right now. I, I just want to pray this over you and I this morning. That we would take time to actually assess and look, whether it be at the birds and catch this. Like, I think this is important as I'm saying this. Consider the birds, not consider your neighbor. That probably just saves somebody's time right now. He says, Stop looking at everybody else, consider, consider the things that aren't as important. <laughs> Don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your boss. Don't look at the person next to you. Like look look at these, look at look at the rest of the world and understand that God is providing, God is taking care. Consider how the Father longs for you to have the best. Consider how he's going to walk and provide for you. And as you look at that that you might be in a moment of anxiety. You might be in a moment of like Jesus, now what? When this when can this get better? We want to pray for that. We want to pray for you in this moment, in this moment of trial. Paul um, took the text out, but that 2 Corinthians passage where Paul talks about being concerned, being worried. The, uh, the first part of that text is a really weird boast that Paul gives about how hard his life has been. Um, and he shares it in such a way that makes it go, well, I'll never complain again. He's like, well, one time I was stoned to death and God resurrected me. Then after that, I was, attempt, I was in a boat and the boat crashed and I almost drowned. Then I got bit by a snake that was poisonous. It should have killed me, didn't. Uh, then I've been flogged multiple times. Um, the Roman flogging, which is 39 lashes, which typically kills a man, that's happened to me four times. He says, but all of this, and I worry about you. I'm not concerned for my own life. I'm concerned about you. I'm worried worried about you and I'm worried about your faith and I'm worried about you growing and knowing Jesus. Church, that God loves you so much that it brought Him to a place of not just worrying but doing something about it. He made a way through Jesus sending His Son to bear the burden. Of any anxiousness, any anxiety, any sin that you will ever commit, have committed, want to commit when you leave this place. Jesus says, man, I'm going to take that so you can have freedom. So you can live in my life. You can follow after me. You can experience this kingdom that I'm coming to prepare. In you, in your heart, in your world. Church, that we could experience this today and so I want to invite us to stand and I just um with every eye closed as you stand I, no one's looking around if if you long today in this moment just from a, re, a relief of the anxiety a relief of the worry that has been with you for years or weeks or this this month if you long for Jesus that you would in this moment raising your hands as a sign of casting your cares upon him. God, as the hands go up this morning that you, you see your people longing to have something with them in their life. That you would show up in such a way so God that their eyes would be taken off the thing in this moment and they would look to you. And so Father, I boldly ask for all of the hands that are raised today that you would help them to take their eyes off of it and put it on you. And God, when they do that, it means that you're going to show up. And that's your promise. And so we hold you to your promise because you are king and you are good and you're always faithful. Like that is our assurance in you that you are who you say you are. That you'll do what you say you'll do. And so as these hands are up this morning, Father, that you would step in and make a way. It would turn to glory for you, that we would know, like, man, look at what God did. More things for me to boast in for him. He's so good. Fathers, we worship this morning. God, I I pray that that becomes the cry of our heart, the song on our lips that, that overtakes the sighs and frustration that we may have felt this week. God, that you are good and you are worthy. You are making a way. And you truly are our blessed assurance and all that we have to come before us. Father, we ask all of this in your amazing and beautiful and precious name.